Good afternoon. Y'all must have missed your two o'clock nap again. Good afternoon. There you are. I knew you were out there. A little mumbled, but you're there. It's good to see you. It's so, so very good to be with you uh, on this Saturday afternoon. We are in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, that's probably not a book that you spent a lot of time in, but there are a lot of famous words that have come out of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is between Nahum and Zephaniah. Now, that might not help you a lot either. It's toward the end of the Old Testament, okay? If you get to Matthew, you've gone way too far. Back up a little bit. We're going to be in Habakkuk. We're just going to read uh, some selected pa- parts of it from, there's only three chapters, a little bit in chapter one, uh, and a bit in chapter two, and then in chapter three. Um, as you're finding your, your place there, uh, I got to tell you, there's one thing that, that we in America really don't do very well. Uh, we don't lose well, do we? We don't lose well. Uh, we don't know how to suffer well. We don't know how to admit that we're wrong well. We don't, we don't lose well at all. Several years ago, I was coaching a bunch of seven-year-olds in uh, flag football. And uh, our team was formed, and I was convinced to coach it uh, at the end of the registration period after the leaders realized that they had a bunch of kids left over. Um, and so what were they going to do with this ragtag bunch of of kids that had not played flag, flag football before. And they convinced me to be the coach. <laughs> you know, and the, the leader of the league kept telling me, Harrison, it's okay if you don't win anything, just teach the kids some good stuff. You know, it was, uh, it was called Legacy, it was the name of the league. It was a, a league founded on Christian principles and wanted to teach people about Jesus. Well, we didn't lose well because we didn't lose. We won. Again and again and again, we beat everybody, and we beat, we beat some of them really, really bad. Um, and so uh, I, my kids learned a lot. They learned a whole lot. What I really wanted them to learn was how to lose well. And we got to the end of the season, and they had not learned that lesson. Listen, my friends, it's important to know how to lose well, how to suffer well. And these kids, great kids, didn't know how to do that. I was really hoping that we would lose our last game. I'm serious. We didn't. Um, I tried to throw it, and we still couldn't lose it. Habakkuk, is, Habakkuk teaches us how to suffer well. So uh, join with me, if you would, in the, in the first chapter of Habakkuk. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long? How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. For I, this is the Lord speak, I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. 
they are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward, they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and they go on. Guilty men whose might is their God. Then chapter 2, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord answered me, after Habakkuk complained again, the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Then at the end of the book, in chapter 3 and verse 17, Habakkuk's rejoicing in the Lord here. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments sings Habakkuk. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, the truth is that that none of us like suffering and we don't want to suffer. I don't want to suffer. Father, you take us places where suffering is in demand. In fact, you tell us that if we will follow you, Jesus, then we will suffer. You tell us to take up our cross and follow you. You tell us that suffering's coming. And you teach us how to suffer well. Father, I pray that you would transform us so that the things that we we latch on to instead of you, that those things would be gone. Father, that we would learn that you are better. Father, that it is better to be a doorman in your house than a prince elsewhere. Father, I pray that you would teach us how to suffer well and follow you closely. Lord, open up our hearts and transform us by your magnificent grace. Father, I pray that, that this man, that I would decrease and you would increase, that you would be honored and glorified through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Habakkuk is a deeply, deeply personal book. Uh, it is a book that takes us deep into suffering. It's a book that God intends for us to, to dive deeply into and to make it very personal part of what we think and how we feel. There are famous words here where, where God cries, or Habakkuk cries out to God, how long, how long, O oh Lord? And he cries out, why? Why is this happening? That's just in the first complaint. In the second complaint, he asks why again and again and again and again. Why, O oh Lord, why are you letting this happen? You know, we, we teach our kids to not be complainers and yet God, God answers very kindly, answers Habakkuk. There's a part of every one of our prayers that we might, we might twist it around and try to make it sound like it's not a complaint, but it's really a complaint. 
Anytime we're asking God for something, it's because we acknowledge that we don't have it. Habakkuk's crying out, how long, O Lord, how long, how long? I, uh, I watched and then read the deeper story of a fellow named Archie, uh, Archie Williams. Archie Williams walked out of Angola uh, prison in March of 2019. He was a free man. He had been sentenced to life without parole for a crime that he did not commit. He had alibis from several, several people that showed this is where he was on the night the crime happened. There were a lot of fingerprints at the scene, but none of them were his. There was DNA evidence that many years later turned out to not be his. Archie wasn't even there that night. Let me ask you something. Who, who here is less than 37? Raise your hand if you're less than 37. Some of you put your hands down. I know better. <laughs> 37. Archie Williams was in Angola for 37 years for a crime he did not commit. 37 years. I've got to wonder what the first night was like. Did he, did he cry out, Lord, this is going to get fixed tomorrow. Would you please just bring out the evidence and set me free? Maybe even in day two, and he's still asking the, the Lord the same thing, thinking this is going to get fixed. Maybe it's the second week that he's beginning to wonder when he's going to get out and get back to real life and why in the world he's been, you know, accused in the first place. Four months, four months after he was arrested, he was sentenced, found guilty and sentenced to life in prison at Angola without parole. Four months. At that point, I think his cries changed from, oh, when am I going to get out to, oh, Lord, why? It's one thing to cry how long when it's been one night, but what about when it's been one week or when it's been one month? Archie said, he said, the, the days turned into weeks, and the weeks turned into months, and the months turned into years. Thirty-seven years. What causes you to cry out to the Lord, how long? What causes you to cry out, why? Why, oh Lord? Why has this happened? Habakkuk's first complaint, he has two here, his first complaint centers around how long. It's in verse 2 of chapter 1, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear. He knows God hears him, so it isn't that you won't hear with your ears, it's that you won't hear and do something about it. How long, O Lord, how long will I cry to you? Violence and you will not save us. Why, why, O oh Lord, do you make me see this iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention are, are paralyzed or, or, or arise and the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. Why, O oh Lord, and when's it going to end? What we know from, from history and 
historians and theologians have brought it out, is that, is that Babylonian and Chaldeans were, were, were heavily uh, punishing everyone around them, and including Israel. The violence was so strong that, that Habakkuk's crying out, Lord, how long and why? But it wasn't just from the outside. There was violence from the inside so that the law was paralyzed. Lawlessness and injustice had grown to such a, a, a vicious state w- within the nation that good men like Habakkuk hesitated to go out into the street because they knew that the law would do nothing about it. And he's crying out, how long, O oh Lord? When is this going to end? Then there's a second, a second complaint from Habakkuk. Beginning in verse 12, he acknowledges the greatness of God. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Speaking of the Chaldeans, you you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man that is more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. He's rejoicing and glad. See, why, O oh Lord, are you letting all of this happen? Why, O oh Lord, how long? And the Lord answers. There's man-centered complaints and there's God-centered complaints. The man-centered complaints deal with our idols. They deal with our, our wants um, instead of our needs, okay? Um, uh, our complaints rise up to God about our idols when our idols um, don't bring about what we hope they will. Listen, everybody wants comfort. I want comfort. I like comfort. Does anybody not like comfort? Is anybody here that doesn't like peace? Is anybody here that, that likes a contentious household? Anybody? I don't think so. We want a peaceful home. That's normal. That's good. We want comfort. That's okay. That's good. We want that kind of thing. But when those things become idols and they become more important to us than God, then we, we, we become angry when we lose them. And our complaints to God become more about our own wants, our own earthly desires than they do about who God is. When we're doing that, we're, we begin to settle into the, settle our hope into the stuff of earth. If we just have this, or we just have that, or we just have this piece, or if somebody does what I want them to do, and I have control, and I have power, well, then our hopes will be satisfied, and we'll be happy campers, right? When we do that, we're, it's like voluntarily stepping into quicksand, like and being satisfied with it. God has so much more for us than that. The other complaint, type of complaint is a God-centered complaint. It's from a man or a woman that understands the heart of God, that knows the heart of God, and complains regarding those things that are not in line with God and in line with God's character. That's where Habakkuk is. He knows who God is. He knows him well. And his complaints arise towards God. Lord, this is who you are, and yet this is what's happening. Why, O oh Lord, and how long will we have to put up with this? 
it's not just the people, but it's, it's even creation. You look in, in Philippians, or not Philippians, in Romans. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Paul understands the heart of Habakkuk. He says there in verse, in verse 19 of, of chapter 8 of Romans, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, not because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. For we know, verse 22, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, not only the creation, but we ourselves. There's a groaning that takes place in us that is tied to God's character. Death is not a part of creation. Death is ours as a result of the fall. The groaning is a result of the fall. God has created us to have a relationship with Him, but there's things in our world that, including our own heart and our own flesh, that take us away, lead us away from that. What causes you? What causes you to cry out, how long? I read the story from a friend in Uganda, a missionary there, a veterinarian, about three, maybe four weeks ago now, of, of raiders from a neighboring village that had raided her village and her church. Um, and, and her and her husband went back and forth and back and forth they had the only vehicle in the village, and they, they rescued many in that way. Others fled down the mountain, across the stream, and hid in caves. And, and many, many, many got away, but many did not. Many, many were just brutally put to death. The raiders took everything that wasn't tied down. How long, O oh Lord? How long? How long, O oh Lord, will this continue? What caused you to say how long? Is it oppression in Venezuela that causes you to say how long, oh Lord, will this continue? Is it the abortion, that crime against the most innocent? What caused you to cry out how long, oh Lord? Is it racism, the ongoing racism? What is it that caused you to cry out how long, oh Lord? Is it the, is it the loss of a family member? Loss of a family member to death that's caused you to cry out to the Father, why? Why, Lord? A mom and a dad that have lost their littlest one. Why? My friends, this does not make sense. And it's good that we are able to look to God and say this does not make sense. We don't know how to suffer well. We don't know how to lament well, as a nation, including the church. And yet we have much cause to lament and to suffer and learn to suffer well. Is it loneliness where you cry out in the, in the wee hours of the night or the Saturday afternoon when you see people out on the fields having fun and you're left alone? Do you know loneliness is at an epidemic proportion? And that was before the pandemic hit. 
books have begun to be written about loneliness and the, ep- the epidemic of loneliness, especially for men, because we don't we don't know how to we don't know how to build friendships anymore. Our friendships are wrapped up in Facebook and Instagram and business relationships. They're, they're wrapped up in text and and midnight emails from customers, and we don't know how to build relationships and do life with other men. So loneliness is at an epidemic proportion. Then you put on top of that this pandemic, and loneliness turns into depression and despair. My friends, we have to get to the point. Men, listen to me, men. We have got to get to the point where we're willing to look at each other and without fear of judgment say, I'm, de- I'm in despair. I'm in depression. I'm lonely, life is the pits, and I need you. Women seem to be much more able to do that than us guys. Ladies, you need to do it too, though. We're really good in our country about building up a facade, putting up walls, let somebody think less of us. God gives us a great example right here in Habakkuk that that is not his way. Even Jesus cries out on the, on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a complaint that, that, is, that is tied into God's character because God does not forsake. And yet Jesus was forsaken there on the cross that he might pay the penalty for your death, for your sin and my sin. What causes you to cry out, how long, oh Lord? Was it a tsunami? This phrase became so common in the days after December 26 of 2004 when a tsunami hit uh, in the Indian Ocean, hit India, Indonesia, all that part of the world. Some waves that were over 100 feet tall. 228,000 people lost their lives. And we cry out, how long, how long, Lord? And then it was done, it was over. And they're still dealing with it. They're still crying, how long? Why, O oh Lord, has it happened? Did it come from a friend's wife that, that texts me or sends us a message, me and Sandy, in the middle of the night sometimes, please pray for my husband. He's a police officer. Please pray for my husband. He's just been called into work because of the riots in downtown Charlotte. I cry out, why, O oh Lord? How long will you let the violence continue? One time I got a text from Matt about 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm about to go in the woods after a guy with a gun. And I'm like, why are you texting me this at 3 o'clock in the morning? He was looking for prayer. He was looking for me to cry out on his behalf. How long, oh Lord, why does this continue? complaint of a kid that waits and waits and waits for his daddy to come home, that sits by the front window at eight years old, wondering when daddy's going to pull into the driveway. How long, oh Lord? And daddy never shows up again. Or the mama just two weeks ago that gets a phone call from her son in Cobb County, Georgia, Marietta. Mom, I've just been detained by the police. Her son's a rising senior at Covenant College, our our denomination's college. An African-American kid, sharp as a tack, kind young man. 
shopping in the mall there in Cobb County. And five police officers surround him at the rack of clothing and handcuff him and take him outside because he fit the description of someone that had driven away from a traffic stop. They take him outside and they sit him on a bench and they surround him and they don't tell him anything else. They don't read him his rights. They let him call his mama. And then the state troopers finally show up and they'll take one look at the kid and they tell the Cobb County police officers, not even close. And they let him go without an apology or anything else. How long, oh Lord? How long? How long? It's 153 million, 153 million orphans in the world. 153 million orphans in the world that are crying out, how long, oh Lord? How long, how long will it be before I have a mama's shoulder to cry on or a daddy's shoulder to ride on? How long? My friends, we need to learn how to lament well. Listen, it's fun to be excited. It's fun to celebrate. And it's great when everything's going awesome. We all want that, right? But that's not life. That's your Facebook news feed maybe, but that's not life. Life is what Habakkuk describes for us. How long, oh Lord? Today we face a pandemic that didn't come out of nowhere, but it certainly caught us by surprise. And we're all asking the Lord, how long? And depending on how you, who you ask, it's either going to be done tomorrow or if it's a fake and doesn't exist at all, or we're going to be dealing with it for a couple of years. How long? Because the impact of that pandemic is felt in every one of our lives. How long, Lord? How long will we be dealing with racism? How long will we be dealing with violence? I have a clue for you. We will be dealing with those things until Jesus returns. Even when this pandemic goes, there will still be sickness. There will still be death. We will still deal with this junk of earth until Jesus returns. There must be something more to hope for than the end of a pandemic or the end of violence or the end of racism or the end of aching, the end of pain, the end of abortion. There must be something more to hope for even than that. And that's a great thing to hope for. There's got to be something deeper. The struggles that we have are real. And we're only going to grasp the beauty and care of Jesus to the degree that we're willing to lay down this facade and these walls to pretend that these things don't exist. That's why God has given us these great words in, in, in Habakkuk in chapter 2. The others were how long, O Lord, and why. And here in chapter 2 in verse 4, we see, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But, but the righteous shall live by his faith. There's a beautiful answer here that God has given to us. The righteous will live by faith. Martin Luther found such great hope in those words. The righteous will live by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? You see the negative part of that, the positive part of that. The negative part 
uh, is the first part of verse 4 of chapter 2. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within. And that's the negative part that says my faith is in myself, okay. It's, it's in myself. It's what I can accomplish, what I can do, what I can convince you of, how I can manipulate you, how I can speak well, how I can, whatever I can do. It's, it's all in me. It's meism. The other side of that is faith that is in God and God alone. The righteous shall live by his faith. We see it unpacked in, in, um, in Romans. We're going to go to Romans and the Galatians. Um, let me just read it to you. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But here's the second part of that in verse 17. For in it, that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. From faith to faith, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. My friends, our relationship with God begins with faith. It ends with faith. It has faith all throughout the middle of it. It's not just for eternal life that we need faith, but it is for every single part of our life. We live, we breathe, we love by faith. And God and God alone. The object of our faith is crucial. If the object of our faith is ourself, well, it's, it's like wading through quicksand. Why would you do it? It goes nowhere. It's a dead end road. The object of our faith is the finished work of Jesus Christ, none but him. Or in Galatians in chapter 3, Paul says again, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Or whoever the writer of Hebrews is, we don't know. In chapter 10 and verse 36, puts it like this. He connects this righteous shall live by faith with endurance and suffering. For you have, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. There's a righteous one that's coming and he will not delay. And our faith must be in him and him alone. God's answer to Habakkuk isn't, hey, I'm going to take away the suffering. I'm going to remove the violence. His answer is, trust me. In fact, he tells Habakkuk that the violence is going to get worse. That's not fun. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to suffer. That's not exciting. That's not a motivational speech that anyone wants to grab hold of. He doesn't say it's going to get easy. But he does say, I will be in your midst. He does say, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. He does say, trust me, follow me. Hebrews 11 tells us many stories of believers who lived in faith up to the very end of their lives, but they were killed for their faith in Christ, including Isaiah, who was sawn in half. And yet, he followed the Lord until the very end. What does it mean to live by faith? It's much more, it's much more than just eternal life, although that's there. It's that ongoing living by faith that the author is speaking of here. It's faith in God for salvation, yes, but it's faith for God, faith in God for life. Not in self, not even in the gifts of God, but in God himself. The righteous shall live by faith. To live by faith is seen in the way that we trust and follow Jesus Christ. When the road gets crooked and the road gets hard, do we turn 
from him or do we keep following? Even when he wants to take away some of those things that are precious to us, those, those idols, our comfort, do we trust him even then? A friend of mine was a, um, a heart perfusionist. Uh, does anyone know what a heart perfusionist is? Nobody? This is cool. I know a word you don't know. Um, it's rare. Listen, a, a heart perfusionist uh, is the guy that, that keeps the heart and lungs pumping during a surgery. This guy had the coolest job in the world in my mind. He got to keep a heart and lung pumping during, during surgery. He tells a story one day uh, of the time when the heart, the heart pump went down during surgery. They had cracked the guy's chest open. The heart pump ceased to function. And, and my friend looked at the doctor and, you know, and they're like this. And the doctor sticks his hands into the guy's chest. And my, my friend said, I watched as the doctor just massaged this guy's heart and kept it pumping. He kept the guy alive. Not in the way that the guy would have ever designed it, but he kept the guy alive. When our faith is in ourselves, we're wanting to do our own heart pumping and we're wanting to design our own life. When we let God be the designer of our life and we put our faith in him to live, the righteous shall live by faith, then we're saying, Lord, you massage our heart. You design the beat. I'm going to beat in tune to what you want. Are we willing to trust God even in that way? To live by faith is seen in the way we love. Not just those that, that are easy to love, but those that are not easy to love, those we disagree with, those that are, we're angry with, those that we don't even like. Do we love them? To live by faith is seen in the way we, we give everything up to God. Not just our lives, although our very lives, but our plans. Are we willing to give them our plans? Do we give them our righteousness? Do we give them our, our, our reputation? Are we willing to give God all of our possessions? To trust God means that we, everything belongs to him. It's seen in the fruit of the spirit. Fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Not love, joy, peace, and things are great, but love, joy, peace all the time. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. There's something about going through suffering, whether you're Habakkuk or you're Johnny Erickson Tata, that brings about a deeper faith and a deeper patience and a deeper gentleness and a deeper kindness. There's something about brokenness that brings about a beauty from the Father that pours out that gentleness on all that you come in contact with. We can live in that faith because our faith is in someone that is worthy and none other than Jesus Christ. He is the one that has sealed up our faith and he has sealed up our hope. Johnny Erickson Tata put it like this. She said, Jesus went without comfort so that you might have it. He postponed joy so that you might share in it. He willingly chose isolation so that you might never be alone in your hurt and your sorrow. He had no real fellowship so that fellowship might be yours at this moment. This alone is enough cause for greater gratitude. My friends, suffering happens. What do we do with it? You can try to wall it off. Or you can open up like Habakkuk, like Johnny does, 
to the Father and say, Lord, this is not good, and this stinks, and this hurts, and there's so much pain that my heart physically hurts. Lord, why? Lord, how long? But then as Habakkuk says at the end of the book, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Though the fig tree should not blossom, I'll rejoice in the Lord. Nor fruit beyond the vines, I will rejoice in the Lord. The producer of the olive field, or the produce of the olive failed, and the fields yield no food, I will rejoice in the Lord. Though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. My friends, the Lord is your strength. He's got to be your hope. Your hope has got to be in Him. Hope in anything else, anything else, anything else will falter and fail. The hope you have in the Lord, you might not see the fruit of this side of heaven. Nevertheless, He is worthy of our hope. Will you pray with me? Father, Lord, there are things in, in our lives, and all of our lives, that we cry out to you, how long? And we cry out, why? And Lord, there's a mystery there. Because so many of these things are not in keeping with your character as we know it. Yet, Father, we know also that you often use what you hate to bring about what you love. Father, in the end, you're the only one that we can trust. I pray, Father, though, that you'll help us to do that. Lord, when the pain is so real that we can't even stand up, I pray that you'll help us to trust you. Jesus, you know what that pain is like, for you've been there. You've been there and you've walked there so that we can walk with you. Lord, help us to do that. Father, again, I pray that if there's anyone here that has never met you, I pray that changes even now. Father, for those that have these hurts that ha seem to have no answers, I pray they would run to you and that they would feel your arms wrapping around them and holding them close and tight. That you're our answer, you're our hope. In Jesus' name.